0: The guy that has been in charge for 26 years since the fall of the Soviet Union. Yes. Anytime that he comes through the town, the militia collects
1: weapons from every civilian. They you they will send you an official request. They well, first of all, James, they know where the, every gun is. They know who owns the guns, with the exception of a certain weapons, if you obtain them illegally, right? Which I'm sure sure exists right but we're just talking about the legal stack that the government is aware of right that is registered they know the owner or the son or the mother or whoever owns that they know the household they know the physical address that is all they need you receive a paper saying that hey you need to surrender your weapon by such and such date and such and such location you will collect it back when our you know our administrative mission is complete thank you very much for your patience have a great day that's it wow
0: These are stories of outdoor adventure and expert advice from folks with calloused hands. I'm James Nash, and this is the Six Ranch Podcast. The Six Ranch Podcast is brought to you by Sig Sauer. SIG is a leading provider and manufacturer of firearms, electro-optics, ammunition, air guns, and suppressors. For over 250 years, SIG Sauer Inc. has evolved and thrived by blending American ingenuity, German engineering, and Swiss precision. Today, SIG Sauer is synonymous with industry leading quality and innovation, which has made it the brand of choice amongst the U.S. military, the global defense community, law enforcement, competitive shooters, hunters, and responsible citizens. SIG Sauer is also a premier provider of elite firearms instruction and tactical training at the SIG Sauer Academy located in New Hampshire. For more information about SIG Sauer and its complete line of products, visit SIGSauer.com. First of all, and I'm embarrassed to ask this, but how do I pronounce your last name?
1: Oh, James, please. Uh, so it's Andre Stepano. It's uh, uh, Stepano. It looks a lot, it sounds a lot easier than what it looked like. There's a couple <laughs> extra syllables there. Yeah, Stepano, I can handle that. That's it, yeah. Where were you born? I was born and raised in Belarus. So I lived a little bit less than a half of my life in, uh, in a city called uh, Gomel in Belarus, which is a uh, second largest city in the republic. Yeah, so I was uh, I had a, I grew up in the city living and uh, had a little, uh, what they call a dacha, an outskirts of, uh, it's something that you will call a cabin in, in the United States, right? Back then, it's back home, it's called dacha, and you have that, uh, you know, a couple miles away from a city, like, a, just like a cabin to get away and, and grow your vegetables and, and do your farming and things like that, so, yeah.
0: Okay, so is Gomel between uh, Kiev and Minsk?
1: Yes, yes. So yeah, that's the, the great point. You're spot on, man. So it's basically, uh, well, it's the second largest city and it's the closest city uh, if uh, as far as just like a city, uh, or, you know, in, a, in the realm of uh, corporate definition of a city limits, right, is between probably Minsk and uh, Kiev for sure. And it's super close, right? Like I think the right... Oh God, I don't know. It's maybe 120 miles, maybe a little bit more than that, maybe 180, right? Uh, with some detours, but it's it's not far at all. The the, the Ukrainian border is super close. Okay, how close? Well, uh, I can look it up right now, or you maybe if you have a map on your screen, I can tell you exactly. But my guess, um, well, I know that uh, Chernobyl, right? Chernobyl is a crow flies is 70 miles, right? If you just draw a diagonal right okay. to the line between Chernobyl and Gomel, the the city of 680,000 plus people, maybe close to a million today, right? Is only 70 miles of flies, right? But if you think about what it'll take you to drive, you'll probably drive 440 miles. And that, that's what, you can probably clear that under two hours without any stops. And you will be already way past the Ukrainian border, right? And if you're just aiming for the border only, gosh, you're only talking, you know, hour and a half at most, that's it.
0: When did the disaster occur at Chernobyl?
1: I uh, would be uh, April, right, nineteen eighty-six, and I was two years old when that happened, James.
0: Two years old, yes. and did uh, were you downwind from that?
1: Oh, ab- absolutely! And uh, it's uh, if we would have pulled up a map right now, how the, all the particles and the wind blew, and what um, what became as a, as a fallout zone and a zone of exclusions, it would be literally you would see the. The most meatiest cloud, the reddiest purple zone of uh, radio particles, uh, post the fallout of 1986, is right above the entire county of uh, the, my hometown and stretching out far, far, you know, for 800 miles to Russia portions and what have you. And then, of course, winds tripped it and they went somewhere else. But the biggest impact was in, in, in around all surrounding my city in, in three to four hundred miles radius. And, and that's what I've seen on
0: maps as well. And I think when people look at the Chernobyl nuclear disaster, they think of it being primarily a Ukrainian issue, but Belarus was hit much harder than Ukraine just because of where, where those particles went.
1: Precisely. And it's, it's, uh, you know, like the radiation definitely traveled, you know, multiple times all over the globe, right. By now, you know, and even 30 years ago back, but um, if you do look at that uh, what what happened initially uh, kiev obviously was a capital of ukraine at the time had much larger population and so did moscow so the the question was um, it's what they did was they actually quite literally james they used helicopters and other equipment to create an artificial wind currents to blow the the particles Away from Moscow, from a capital of Soviet Union back in the day. Wow! Very few people know that. They like, can you imagine that operation? Like, hey guys, today we're gonna take off and uh, we're gonna have to push off some clouds. Let's go, let's do this, right? So that's been done. They used a humongous uh, fence to blow the parts of the sky away. They they did that, and I'm not sure what they did in Kiev, but if that wind shifted. And if that radiation that early on shifted towards the Kiev zone and instead of not going towards the Belarusian parts of Russia, more of outskirts of the smaller towns, which is still a big towns, right? That would have been a, I mean, the death toll today would have been in millions, hands down, right? And it's just a, by, by the will of God, it, it wasn't. That's it.
0: So tell me, tell me about what your experience was like. Growing up under under the shadow of that disaster,
1: uh, that, that that is uh, that is definitely a life changing experience, James man, and uh, it's something that um, changes you, right? It it's always it never goes away. It's always with you. It's it's well, forget about the parts that it's inside of your body, right? Like there's nothing you can do about that part that that that's done, and uh, the scariest part is. They, for many, many years, people thought that certain particles will break down under 30 years period. And they do, right? Some of them do. But then later, as the studies was done, they they realized that, wait a minute, they actually don't. And they might stay in the ground or in your body or somewhere else in animals, in the wildlife for thousands of years. And, and that's what's been proven, right? So so that one of the issues that people have in this, it's specifically in this exclusion zones today is... All these particles are there, and if they're there, and as a, as a summertime approaches, right as the spring shifts with summer, and as the earth starts baking, like quite literally baking from a direct sunlight and sudden yep. sun rays, all that particles, they become rising with dust. And whenever you kick off that dust, that's when you will inhale these particles over and over and over again. Okay. And it doesn't mean like a lot of bad ones already gone, yes, but it doesn't mean that that's good for you or for anybody else doing that. So for many, many years growing up back then, James, to your question, every summer, you trying to get away, the moment the school was over, like quite literally, the parents would send their kids as far away as possible. Just, just get him out of the zone anywhere else, right, outside of the Republic of Belarus. And back then it was still a Soviet Union until 1993, right? So it's, it's been, you know, I was seven when Soviet Union collapsed. And... Uh, for many years they, they would do exactly that. They will try to send you up north, Siberia, like almost to the gulag territory, right? As funny as it sounds, and we'll be like, Yes, I'll take that ticket. You know, the parents are like, Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll punch it in. My kids is going done. And they'll buy, you know, they'll you'll have a three months off at summer and they would want you gone this so you don't breathe that, right? Uh so and on top of that, um, think about this way, right? When when you two, so I was two when it happened, right? It's okay. Like you don't know much when you two, like it is what it is. The moment when it happened is my family immediately, they found out about it in a matter of days, like matter of days after, of course it was all under the table. And there was nothing. There was a kind of radio silence, hands down. Like nobody knew anything. Like the, exactly what you see in HBO portions of a show in the very, very first parts. Like no, nobody, nobody said anything, right? And they could have easily. They could have easily made an announcement and and prevent all that radi- radiation from sipping into the human bodies who was living all over the place, right? They could have done it. They haven't. So we took off like my parents were fortunate enough and that their job was, uh, you know, flexible enough that they completely took off and we had relatives in Siberia and we went all the way outside of Siberia, like just, just left, left for months. Right. And of course, elderly, my parents specifically, they they were young back then. They had to come back like the, the James. Yeah. They in Europe, as you know, they have 40, 30 days holidays. Yes. So you can leverage that. Maybe you'll have some kind of agreement for a few more days. Right. But, you have to go back to work. So every one of these people had to go back to work and, and do their duties and do their jobs to provide for their families while, of course, the little guys like myself stayed away a little bit longer. And, and you know, I stayed away for almost 18 months at that time and came back 18 months later, I stayed with my grandparents. So that was a, that was the very, very first my exposure, right? And of course, I can I can build on that and tell you how the middle school, elementary school went and, and, and some crazy stuff we had to deal with. I'd love to hear it. So um, for about 11 years, right, you, you basically, um, you wear a device, right? The device measures your internal body radiation. And, and the only time you really take off that device is um, you would wear it like they'll issue to you. And let's say, hey, uh, four months of the year, you're going to wear this for 30 days flat. And the only time you take off is to replace the battery and have it calibrated. That's it. And they would tell them like, what's your body radiation is, and they would do that randomly throughout the school, elementary school, middle school, high school levels, trying to understand how bad is it, like how bad is your body's behaving? What are what are your thyroids are? Are you, are you subject to thyroid cancer? That was a huge thing growing up. Like I had, I was borderline level for myself, and if it wasn't for me moving to the united states right and and, and living on a coast and and just having a ton of uh, iodine and breathing salt air i would probably did not fare well, you know, uh, but that, that, that was my case, but a lot of people did not have that luxury and they never left. And, uh, as an outcome, man, a lot of, a lot of people definitely today, um, having a hard time having kids, having, having a hard time getting pregnant, uh, men and women, right. Uh, having, so that's definitely a thing. So that, that is a, Cancer numbers are like you have to look at it. Like, look at the cancer numbers. Like, you don't need to even go too far. Like, why? Why are these numbers are so high? Why are people dying from cancer at the age of forty-five and fifty-six years old? Why mm. in such a high numbers, right? And and it's all yeah. and that's all the stuff. Nobody nobody talks about it, right? And Belarus has a negative
0: population trend.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah that that is that is very much true. And with everything that's happening today, right, and everything that's been taking place. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the cost of living and, and uh, people would probably have more kids, James, if they could afford to have more kids, right? Where they would have sure. a family of five and six like they did back in the day. Like my my stepdad, I think they had a family of seven, right? At some point. My mom, my mom had a pretty large family too, and um and prior to World War Two, like they had, people used to have kids, and then the things changed, right? And if your if your average income and your monthly income is up, you know, four hundred fifty to six hundred fifty dollars as an engineer, in 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 the factory, like John Deere, right? Like, well, what are you gonna do? How many kids can you really afford, right? How how well can you do? Even if it's eight hundred dollars a month, like people do it right now, my my friends and and some of the relatives, right? They, they kind of stuck, so it's that's why between that and uh, some borders openings and, and and guys like myself and gals like myself leaving and venturing off um, to the Western civilizations and trying to look for the better ways. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. I see the declining. There's a nuclear plant called Hanford
0: in Washington State, and it's about a three-hour drive away from me, three and a half maybe. If if something had happened like chernobyl at hanford and me and everyone that i knew here in oregon had been affected the way you were in belarus i would have some pretty harsh feelings towards washington state is it fair to say that that the chernobyl nuclear disaster forever changed the way belarus feels about ukraine
1: that's a good question um what do you think about for a second so um
0: I mean you're all part of the Soviet Union at that point, so I feel like right. that the state comparison right. is I don't know.
1: James, I, I think you're onto something, right? And they might be uh there's definitely something to be said about being a um when your plant is built in the record time and you pushed against the deadlines, and the moment you start erecting the structures, you already blew out the budget and every every deadline is imaginable because that's exactly what happened, right? And even if the, the budget is no issue, and they simply trying to throw bodies and equipment in it to to uh, erect that in the record times because that's what Soviet Union was. Everything had a five line timelines, five year timelines, and then this five years were another timeline, another deadline, right? It, that's how the guys operated for years, right? That that was the regime, that was the message. And when people forced to do that, and they ended up cutting corners and not following the protocols and level of the specification the way they should have, that is that is definitely what people, without a doubt, uh, myself including, like, why would you deploy that reactor, right? Like, why why did you have to say yes, and why would people, you know, do do that, right? And that's what happened. They they and think about this, right? This is Soviet Union. We're talking. 80s right this is everything's fresh and and very much so and it's all march for the better life and communism should prevail right like this is a slogan like this all day every day and people just like yeah man we gotta do what we gotta do well will it work i guess maybe right let's do it and if if anybody i would have a serious problem right or a you know, with with a with a Soviet Union at that time, like why why would that have to be the message, right? Like, okay, we can we can do this. We guys, we're not even erecting a bridge. We build a nuclear plant, right, which has no secondary containment of any kind because you did not follow whatever technology was available to you. You, you could build the good plants, and you've done them before on record. But here in this exact case, you had to go and make that. You know that statement that you can build this, and, and you've done it. And look at us, look how mighty we are. Yeah, that is the problem. Like that—that that, that is not something you any government would do. And I—I I don't think it has anything to do with Ukrainians at all because they were caught up in this just as us. It's a brother. It's a brother nation, right? They—they they really are, right? Like I—I speak Ukrainian. I speak a little bit of Polish, Belarusian, and Russian. Four languages, right? We—we we all grew up together, being so tight. And um, there was never a thing like it was never like, Hey, you guys did this. We're going to hold you guys accountable. Now, if anybody, it's Soviets, man, it's it's Moscow. would will be in that case. Government.
0: Gotcha. Well, in, uh, in today's conflict, a lot of what people are talking about is energy, whether that's Russian oil or Ukrainian natural gas. Yeah. That's a lot of what people are talking about right now. Yeah. Yeah. When you came to the States Growing up the way you did under the conditions you grew up in, how did you feel about energy? And then how did that change the way that you conducted yourself professionally?
1: James, this is a, this is a life changing experience for me, right? Um, Some of the. Belarus and Ukraine is is especially Ukraine. This is such a wealthy place, man. They have, uh, they pretty much have the entire periodic table of elements available to their dispense. It's such a wealthy, rich, rich. Soils, you know, south, southwest, southeast, uh, the Azov Sea, the Black Sea, right? They, they have so many things in common um, up there, and it's it's a phenomenal place. I visit many many times um, every summer, right? As as remember that the trend of kids, um, if if anybody has a little bit of money left, and if parents could afford it, they would send you away every summer for three months. The moment you literally like the last the last you know ring went off in school, and you got out of middle school elementary or your high school you would disappear for 3 months and nobody sees anybody like it's like the front yards of the people houses would be empty james it's like a bomb went off right i know it's a bad comparison like if if they if parents only could afford they would send cats or kids away yeah. anywhere else in europe travel anywhere just anywhere but but here right and um that 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 continued for years and uh, that that knowing that growing up in this obviously you know the first thing is and very early on, like from an age, I'd say 14, right? They, they start, you don't take a nuclear science courses, of course, in middle school, or high school at that, that level. There's eleven grade system, right? Might be important to say. So school system is compacted by one year less, right? Okay. So there's not 12, there's 11. So there's a little bit more information you take. And of course, James, as you know, all the credits are mandatory. Like, it's not like you have a choice, like you're taking all of it. You can't right. pick and choose. Oh, you want to be the art students? No, sorry. You're taking it all, right? And um, specifically on the nuclear science front, we, did we know about it Yeah, Did we know how you know reactor operates? Probably not. Not in high school, but definitely by the time you got to the first year of university and as a higher you progress in your courses, by age of 16, you already enrolled in university, right? You're already in the first year. 17, you're done with the first year. 18, you're done with the second year. So rest assured, by age of 18, you know, you know how the reactors are built, you know what's what's going on, you know what took place. You studied and watched this long enough, you you get it, right? If you a little bit into this, right? And that would definitely start shaping up your message on hey, how do you want this? source where do you want this electricity to come from what would you rather do do you like to you know explore natural gas possibility and do something like GE does in natural turbine market and Mitsubishi's and companies like that that seems to be cool clean hey what about a fracking would fracking might be an option no right like back then the fracking wasn't even the thing but it, they they i think they played with that technology a little bit um, you know underground somewhere just didn't tell the people about the outmatch and aftermatch of that and um and, and you slowly but truly is, you know, you. we always knew that um, in the way all the cities and structured, right, you always knew that you have to have a massive amount of energy. It has to have come from somewhere, A, meaning what, what, what do you need that for? Well, look at the, all the apartment complexes. Look at all the all the places where people lived, right? You had to have large boilers and a large amount of A steam to run uh you know for turbines however you get that energy from to create the electricity for the cities and the factories that was always like almost city were like almost all the city were identical yes granite some of them had a damp maybe right then they had a hydro station great uh some of them who they had nothing with run nothing with running water like you guys have in the state of washington right in the spokane maybe or somewhere else right if you don't have that luxury, what what are the options? You're going to burn fossils. You're going to sure. burn coal, right? Right. Yep. That that's all that is, and of course, gas played a huge part, especially after disaster. And as you as as young as a young professional, you growing up, you are thinking, okay, do I want to be? Maybe it's another step back. As James, um, Belarus was a very much what they called a republic at the time when they were part of Soviet Union. Is they called them a um, a mechanical shop of of Soviet Union, meaning all the, the best engineers, all the best factories and making anything that they can do in agriculture sector, industrial sector, heavy industrial sector, they build all these factories. And a lot of them were in Ukraine and Belarus. And, and, and the talent and the pool of talent, it's like, if you look compared to modern days, it would be like the closest thing I can think of is a zarasti belt in Michigan and Detroit and, and automotive construction and all the way down to Peoria, Illinois. Like that would be that belt. Like imagine that pool of talent back then. So everybody is, is, you know, young engineers, young families moved from all over the miles away, right? They all get to the cities, they establish the cities, they support it and they grow in and uh yeah and you grew up with that mentality that hey you will be most likely engineer of some sort and of course to your point it's like hey well which direction you want to go with do you want to support something that backfired or do you want to support something that will not backfire and it's definitely shaped up where i wanted to go with energy sector so then where did you end up so uh yeah i got i got lucky right i went i went to school uh studied for um Civil construction, electrical engineering, and uh, finished out my degree in University of Moscow, and um, and became electrical engineer. And at that time, I was already, uh, you know, United States uh, moved out out here in two thousand and three, um, and yeah, I turned I turned nineteen years old in the United States, and um, continued very quickly realized that maybe I do not wanna. Maybe I do not need to work for anybody else. Maybe I will just want to start my own business, and I became electrical contractor and very early on, and to start living in American Dream. Man, that was that was my story. That's awesome.
0: And you worked for Tesla for a while, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I had my um, startup for about eleven years. Even when I employed, was employed for Tesla, and prior to that, uh, Solar City. Uh, I got. It. I end the job. It, it was a time when I, I taught in universities for about five years in, in five, four different schools. Right. I really enjoyed what I did during the day in my startup, being an electrical contractor, and we we specialized in like just heavy commercial work, right, um, industrial work. And um, I really enjoyed learning throughout the day and uh, enjoyed passing my knowledge to younger, you know, men and women, younger professionals. In some evening classes and some um, adult education classes and uh, some, you know, community colleges and colleges instead of Delaware, Maryland, Virginia. So I worked for different school systems for about five years. And at one time, Solar City, back then, right before the Tesla acquired them, they came in to recruit some of my students in my photovoltaic class of clean energy class. Uh, right that the curriculum for which you know you put together yourself as a professor and they ended up hiring me so that's how I ended up in solar city at first Uh, so I worked on the clean energy sector and then uh, acquisition took place and uh, Tesla was uh, I was fortunate and humble enough that uh, when a lot of people during the merger lost their jobs um, some of us was you know lucky that we got recognized and they pulled us to the main headquarters and pulled us to the state of California. It could be parts of Washington, wherever they've seen a need for that. Right. So that, that's what happened to me. It's, it's such an incredible
0: story that you could grow up as an infant under the shadow of Chernobyl and then end up living in America, working on, on photovoltaic projects like solar city. And then later on for Tesla and starting in your own business. That's amazing. That's that's, that's an amazing story. When did you start hunting,
1: James? I uh, I started that that is uh, growing up, right? Um, I might have seen when my mom my, my parents got divorced very very young. I was five, I think, right? So the, there's that that big gap, and my mom did not get married until I think I was maybe um, you know like seven years later, something like that. So. Uh, you only see like at that time like between up in the age of 11, 12, I might have seen a gun a few times in my life in only in hands of uh, you know police officers on the streets right and funny enough, they called the militia right the militia was a very much uh, is the word officially used for in government for many, many years until recently. so you don't really grow up seeing guns, which is Completely. And I know a lot of people in the United States, they got without guns at all, right? And that's fine, right? There's something to be said about that. And uh, But back home, it was not a thing. Like, you just did, didn't have it. Um, but funny enough, they teach you on gun safety courses and ROTC courses very early on. And those are mandatory, right? Like, once again, like, yeah there's no choices, right? Right. No, this is not Chick-fil-A where you have five things on the menu. Like you can't pick, you got to take it. So very early on, like age of 14, you take an ROTC, right? You, you go in and you're doing it. Right. And as you get older, right, you, you continue for ROTC. And if you want to continue and be an officer in army and serve your country, right? The draft is mandatory. Everybody's going to army period. The only question is, a, are you going to go serve as enlisted? or you're going to be serving as an officer. That is only two choices you have. And if you want to be enlisted, sure. You know you don't need to go to university. You don't need to go to college. All you got to do is just hang out and uh, maybe get your ed- adult education degree, get your specialty as an electrician or mechanic or anything like that, and then you have to go. By the time your school is done, you have to go serve your country. You serve it, year and a half to two years, you get out, and that's it. It's over. You, know, you go on with your life, you get a job. If you want to be an engineer or if you want to be an ROTC, well, guess what? You gotta finish the university with ROTC program. And those were extremely hard to get into. I mean, like James, if I tell you they were like the the next level, it was it it would be like an understatement because everybody, like for some reason, all of us, and it could be that Belarusian mentality again of being trying to be the best human being you can be, the most productive you can be, is that desire was in all of us. Like I remember, I think my high school, when we graduated, I'm pretty sure, I don't know, 85% got into the colleges and universities on the scholarships, right? They, they actually got in for free, right? And... To get to ROTC was a whole different level, and I was fortunate enough. My grades were good enough. I got in at this ROTC school because I I just wanted to be like, hey, if I'm going in, I'm going as an officer. Period. That was my plan. Got in, right? Did the two years then, and and then transferred to the different school. But still, needless to say, is that that was the thing. And of course, at that time, you start seeing guns. You start getting introduced right to the different things. And but prior to that is. Did we think about hunting? Oh yeah, absolutely. Did my, if I, I wish my, my stepdad, right. Took me, took me out. Uh, he was very much into the fishing, so he wasn't a hunter, but I know that his family um, who actually only lived 20 miles away from Chernobyl altogether, they were even closer. Um, they were super close to prepet where the factory was the Chernobyl factory at the time, right. They were right in the spot and, and his life story is, is remarkable by itself, right? He, the, how these guys survived, I have no idea. And, um, you know, their 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 parents were in defiance when during the Belarusian occupation by Germans. They they made it all you know throughout the war from nineteen forty one till the nineteen forty five. You know, they fought on 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 the entire side and then they drove. You know. Uh, Germans all the way down to Berlin side as well. And, and they survived that. So they they definitely, they were, they were they hunters? Yeah. Was I part of that? No. And always wanted to be. And then I, I met, I remember meeting my uh, high school girlfriend and her father was a hunter. And it's the first time when I got introduced to hunting, right? Being a first year student. And he's like, hey, uh, you know, you want to go check it out? You want to see what it's all about? I said, sure. And at the time, dude, they were hunting rabbits, right? They were going after just a yeah. small game. Some waterfowl and rabbits, but it was, it was great. Right. It was fun. I mean, they fire a lot of shots, right. The, the, the weapons are primitive, right. You all, you got two shells at the very most, you reload, right. But still, you know, and the rabbits hunting was what they did is James, they'll pick up this private field. Right. And, um, uh, They'll just drive up and just blind them, just straight up blind the rabbit. And the rabbit just stays there, right? And they're pretty big rabbits; like they're not tiny, like they're a pretty decent size. And this big, is at night. Ears. Yeah, this is at yeah. night exactly. This is at night, right? And and the rabbits stood there, and then they take a shot, and whoever you know, they drive up, and that's what they were doing, just running them in circles and getting them with, with with dogs at the time, and uh, yeah, that's what they did. But there was no. No big game time, but the boar is there. The wolves are there, right? The deer is there. Like the, all, all this wildlife is definitely there. And especially after what happened at Chernobyl, right? Imagine this, James, they, they literally like, they took at some point, somebody took a Sharpie and drew up a, a certain exclusion zone on the map and said, hey, in this zone, A, you can't fish. B, you can't go. If you go, it's up to you. You're taking responsibilities in your own hands. If you want to go and get some mushrooms out of the woods, uh, yeah, be my guest, but you can not sell them. You, you're not supposed to, and you better check the radiation level, anything you get, right? So for many, many years, I think the biggest, it was a probably blessing and a curse. It might have been a blessing for the wildlife because they just thrived. I mean, I've seen, I've seen um, a couple of friends of mine in civil engineering, and they do the land surveying back home, and they go to this darkest, most remote parts of Belarus to do the land surveying jobs, right? That's this job, right? They're doing some kind of project there and their company sends it and they go in and he's like, Andre, anywhere you go as a land surveyor, the moment you get off the truck, like your gun never leaves your sight. It can't because there's a pack of wolves. There is a deer with, 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 horns as big as swords, right? And you don't know what that thing is going to do. They haven't seen a human in probably 10 years, right? Except us. And, but you can't, you can't eat them. And if you do, you better check. Right. So uh, that was a very much a thing.
0: Are devices to be able to check radiation? Are those common? Is that something that people just have?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. And of course, you know, there there comes the thing like, Hey, how often do you calibrate them? Do you follow the manufacturer instructions? You know, like, Hey, like, do you do diligence? Like same as everything else, maintain your stuff. And if you're successful with that, and you can manage to do that, yeah, the people people have them all the time. They're readily available. And they, in fact, they, they sell them, right? Anything that any produce, any wild game that, that makes to the market, it will get tested. Make no mistake. It will never be the case that it just got rubber stamped and it's contaminated. No, 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 no. In fact, that's complete opposite. They'll do test. And it goes for a farming as well, right, James? Because... That cloud is everywhere. People farming in this territory, right? People farming outside of that zone. Like once, once the wind start blowing all this, you know, all the dust in summertime again, you don't know your pigs got contaminated and you have a pig farm. So they have to go, the the control measures that they have in place are so rigorous. And um, when it comes to health and safety today, yeah, if you're buying something at the store in legitimate places and legitimate markets, and they all are like there is no underground market for that type of stuff, right? It's all it's good stuff like you won't get sick period it will be enormous yeah
0: and have you got to hunt since you've been uh in the states
1: i oh yeah so definitely so i, I got out of belarus right it was all, all small game and another another uh maybe i'll, I'll give you another quick fun fact but um, my neighbor my neighbor who um, happened to be a lifelong um, officer in a russian army he was an older gentleman and he's you know, his son was maybe seven years older than me living like in an apartment complex in the same level. We live in the seventh floor, in an apartment complex, 10 stories 10, 10 stories tall. And he was a uh, officer, you know, 30 years in, retired, stationed East Germany for many, many years before the wall came down and only got relocated after a wall got turned down. Right. So he got to hunt. And that's like, I think the passion is for me was like, hey, Hearing his stories and seeing his trophies and seeing his moose racks and his you know, deer stacks and uh, seeing the trophies that he collected and he brought over from East Germany meant so much to him and, and taking his weapons apart with him and taking his shotguns. All he had the shotguns. He had nothing else. That, that's all he had. It was never a bow, right? Never compound bow, never nothing not even recurve, right? So there was always all shotgun science and uh, pump gauge, the different types. And um, watching that growing up and just watching and hearing him, like, he'll have a couple drinks, right? And he'll tell you a story, right? Like, hey, this is what we did here. Here's how we've done it. But again, you're like, oh man, how do you do that? Like, dude, how do you, is that even legal? And he's like, yeah, well, in Germany it is, right? And, and that's, and, and, just, and back then, of course, I probably felt nothing off of it, right? like, oh, I knew that I can't do this in Belarus. You, you, you'll never get a license, right? And first of all, you got to get license to get the license, to get the license for the shotgun. Well, good luck with that. That's going to get, uh, in order for you to get a, like, people probably don't even know today. You want to get a weapon, like a legal weapon under your belt, under your name? There is a path to do it. But the path is, James, it starts with psychiatric analysis and complete background check on so many levels. Like it will take you 18 months to even to even get close to that level, right? You'll get it, but make you know you probably get uh, it'll be a uh, three shell shotgun, 12 gauge, more or less. That that is going to be the highest level of anything you'll ever hold in your hands legally, right? Maybe in some people, if they hold a lot of cash, they do a lot of business. Maybe they'll get a pistol license, right? that could be the case i can see that but other than that like that's it like you won't see anything else but watching watching him and watching hearing his part of a, of a, his adventures that was definitely a um, a most exciting part and like i said man bringing for someone like okay i'm sure they had a budget when they moved his family from east germany to belarus and he happened to be in our city on a seven-floor apartment, I'm sure it costed, you know, some money for the government to do that for him. I'm sure he had walls like in a cab, but for him to take whatever the little belongings that they have and, and a bunch of German Bavarian mugs and the beer mugs and all that stuff, right, all, and trophies from his, you know, on his wall, like, it's almost seemed that all he took was his trophies. There was barely any belongings, right, in his uniform. That definitely... Um, that, that was with me. And, and the first time, man, James, another thing is, first time I remember eating steak was in the guy's house. Until no that day. Like, the steak, well, steak is never the thing. Like, there is no such a thing as steak. Steak only appeared in the Russian horizon after collapse of Soviet Union in 2011. That's probably when the first, Moscow, maybe, yes. They were far more advanced. Moscow's, hands down. But the rest of the country, dude, nobody had a steak. Like, nobody knew what the steak is. I never grew up like you talking a whole so you get somebody going to catch you a piece of slab an inch thick and cook it in an open fire of some sort? No. No. <laughs> no, dude, like that's oh it's too much meat for one person right there was different i mean there there definitely there's definitely other festivities right they'll make a uh, shish kebabs and they do a lot of kebabs they do a lot of but uh, actual a uh, slab of meat no that wasn't the thing and that guy's house a german stationed russian officer of 20 plus years right 30 years <laughs> that was that was a thing salt and pepper man salt pepper iron skillet i remember i remember doing it
0: that's so amazing And honestly, I didn't grow up eating that much steak either, even though I was on a cattle ranch and we hunted a lot, most of what we were eating was wild meat. So that was going to be deer elk and there's not a lot of good steaks to cut off of those animals. Um, So it was mostly burger and different burger things. It's definitely much more common now for people to just casually order a steak at a restaurant on a Tuesday night or whatever. Mm. Um, or, or that's what you're going to go buy from a grocery store, but it's definitely, definitely a reality check to think about a massive country region, you know, consolidation of countries like the Soviet union, where most of the population never, ever experienced that. It's pretty wild.
1: Yeah. And, uh, just, just to kind of add another piece is since we're talking about this, a little bit of hunting across, across the board in Belarus, right. And, um, I can't tell you what what's going on there today. I, I would imagine a lot of it is similar because a lot of laws are transferred, right? They were inherited and, and they might've changed some laws. They might've made them even stricter with all the all the atmospheres. And, uh, you know, since the presidents is 20, uh, our president is 26 years in charge. I mean, the guy been in charge ever since I can remember, right? Ever since Republic became independent, we, we had one president and there's, you know, a whole different conversation there. But um, I, 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 don't, I can imagine that they, they got more lenient towards people, you know, applying and, and becoming a game hunters and hunters. I, I, it's always been, James, growing up, uh, the, the girlfriend I was telling you about this, her parents were so wealthy. Like James, there was like some of the wealthiest people I met, Right. Uh, at that time, like, right? Like they were driving Toyota and Nissan's when everybody else was driving Zhiguli uh, and, uh, you know, Model One, right? Like cars of Russian made, make, make and model. Um, that was on, un- it's not even achievable. Like there wouldn't even be in the horizon. Like, in- if you think about this for a second, and if you just put this in perspective, and uh, here, right, you can do it. Anybody can do it. Like, all you got to do is just apply and you can do anything you want, right? Go get a tag, go get trained, go, go get NRA courses, whatever it is you want, whatever your passion is, it's totally doable and just get up and and go, right? And back then, back there is people can't, right? Only far and few, and I'm sure it's the same. And even once you obtain that weapon, like here, here's, here's a fun fact, which I, I bet nobody, probably the audience even know about, right, James? Whenever president visits the town, visits the second largest city and drives through, the militia collects everybody's weapons. Wow. Let let me pause there for a second, right? So So, the so the the guy
0: the guy that has been in charge for 26 years since the fall of the Soviet Union. Yes. Anytime that he comes through the town, the militia collects weapons from every civilian.
1: They you they will send you an official request. They well, first of all, James, they know where the every gun is. They know who owns the guns. With the exception of a certain weapons, if you obtain them illegally, right, which I'm sure exists, right? But we're just talking about the legal stack that the government is aware of, right? That is registered. They know the owner or the son or the mother or whoever owns that. They know the household and know the physical address. That is all they need. You receive a paper saying that, hey, you need to surrender your weapon by such and such date and such and such location, you will collect it back when our, you know, our administrative mission is complete. Thank you very much for your patience. Have a great day. That's it. Wow.
0: So I got a new rifle in today, actually, um, and went and got paperwork started. And prior to the COVID pandemic, um, I never waited longer than like five minutes for a background check. So yeah, I could, I could just, uh, You know, I'd fill out the form, they would call it in, give them the information, and they'd make sure that everything that I said was correct, that I wasn't, you know, a felon or any of the other questions that they ask. And then I could take my, my gun home. Um, Since the pandemic, so many people are buying guns now that the wait is quite a lot longer. So today I was number 2,353 on the waiting list, and that'll get processed by Oregon State Police over in Salem. And when my number comes up, somebody will look through and they'll make sure that everything that I answered on that sheet is correct. And I'll be able to, um, take that rifle home and they process anywhere between 400 and 600 of those every day. So it's going to take, you know, over a week of of business days, just to be able to bring a rifle home. And you'll hear politicians say stuff like it's easier to get a gun than a cheeseburger or whatever. That's just not the case. That's, that's, that's fake news, but um certainly easier than what
1: you're talking about yeah yeah and and, and look like i remember days like i was uh, you know I, um, I own quite a few guns right and uh, always will and always will be and um it was one of the first purchases i had once i became once you once you get a green card you don't have to be a citizen to own a gun of the united states you have to be a lawful permanent resident right that's the, the green card equivalent the same thing right that it's the fancy word for it. You have your green card and uh, you can go and apply. And I, it's what I did. It was one of the first purchases I made because I, I received <laughs> That's that awesome. James, I literally went to Gander Mountain, who's no longer in business, right? Yeah. And applied for you know Glock 45 because I fed my you know I'm a pretty tall guy I'm six foot five, right? And uh, it fed my palm fold right in, felt like butter, and I loved it. And that's that that's how it started. That's how my journey started to the you know to the hunting experience and and being a law-abiding citizen. And at that time, it was state of Maryland. Uh, Delaware was much more lenient and it was walk in walk out at that time like you described very much so Maryland wasn't the case it took a little bit of time to process but hey you've done it yeah 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 okay give me give me your
0: take on the the Russian Ukraine conflict right now because I've had just a ton of people reach out to me over the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. and ask me for for my thoughts and I don't have enough information to say Um, I'm not super familiar with, with Russia and Ukraine. I don't know. I don't know their history. I don't know the current politics. I don't know enough, but that's where you came from. I'm sure you've still got family there. Um, now we're starting to kind of throw some shade at Belarus for, uh, for Mm -hmm. supporting Mm -hmm. Russia. It's getting complicated and, and it's affecting your, your home. So I would love to, to hear your take on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. James. Thank you. So, um, it's definitely, you know, my, my, um, my prayer is right and my heart goes out to the people in, down there on both sides, Ukrainians and uh, Belarusians and Russians and, and anybody, any civilians that caught up in this. All, all the law-abiding citizens that, that caught up in, in the middle of that is, is completely, totally right, uncalled for, right for them to be mixed up in that. But that, that is, that, that's what's happening today. The only thing I, I think if I would summarize a bit, the more I think about this right is I, I'm like human I, I don't have all the facts uh, in fact uh, James I um, I haven't been back to Belarus like I don't have any siblings right uh, unfortunately I wish I did but I haven't been back to Belarus since I left right I, I made home in the United States it's been phenomenal I'm living an American dream in by means all means and definitions of that in my mind. And I travel the world whenever I to with my American passport, except Middle East, right? Like I, I traveled to Egypt many years ago. Like that's not the place where you show off your, I was there in 2006, 2007. That that's not the place we want to show off your passport. At that time, it was pretty easy, right? You could have got kidnapped probably still today. Who knows? But um, so I haven't been back. So for me for me to be, to say that, hey, I'm the subject matter expert on the topic. No, I, I can't claim that. But what I do know is it almost feels like there's as many stories that there is, there's people who's talking about it. Right. And there's so many media sources, independent sources, third party sources, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, right. They, they have one mission and one, one agenda and a one, one brush of a certain color that they use. And there's something to be said about that. And we, we all understand why. Right. And uh, to me is, The truth is always somewhere in the middle like you cannot be you got to be able to look at for their lens and what they're thinking and what they're going through and you have to put yourself almost in their shoes and ask yourself like why well what's happening why is it happening and what's taking place and where and i i'm a strong believer that as 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 days goes by right and hopefully will be sooner than later that it's all over and behind us the The whoever people and independent sources and journalists will be on on the ground there actually doing the discovery of the material and findings the truth will come out and prevail and I sincerely hope that the western part of the world right the part I live in and I'm a citizen of will show that in its two colors if there would be the mission from a vladimir putin right was he wanted to go in and he was very clear in what he said that last week on Wednesday early on right he said. He's going in to denationalize, basically, meaning he's going on to destroy a far, far right nationals Nazis sector and take him completely out of the country because they're in charge of a capital, they're in charge of the government right now. That is what he said. And he said that he wants to de-weaponize them in the process by all means necessary before anything that needed that that's his mission. And he also stated that the moment that that mission is achieved, he will be gone with the wind, right? Which you can draw the parallel to uh, what just happened in Kazakhstan when Kazakhstan recently was taken over by another clan of the two families and entire, you know, internal rivalry there. He went in, and left days after, literally, right? He did exactly what they were supposed to be doing or whatever the mission was, but the bottom line is they did not occupy the left. I think if if that happens, if for just for a moment, we'll think that, okay, let's put this in perspective and if that's truly the case and, and maybe there's ground for that and if they present enough evidence of all of that to the world, right? I'm not saying justifiable at all, but no, 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 no. Uh, not a drop of blood is justifiable on either side. There's a massive casualties on both sides. We I know for a fact is I've been doing my own discovery and, and counting, you know, counting bodies and flags on tanks and what kind of tanks are these, and doing the Google map reveal versus to the street image and, and footage you're getting, right? Like you can you can dig in with modern technology, you can dig into this very deeply, and you can clearly see that both sides are suffering and Russian suffering too. And there's a lot of casualties, there's a lot of people dying. But I do believe that we just need to be just 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 be patient, right, guys? Just don't fall into the whatever propaganda and whoever else is paddling. Just just wait. Just sit tight and wait and just hold your thoughts, be collective, just like with everything else, right? Think for yourself, be decisive, do your own due diligence, find out, and then maybe just then with enough evidence presented, it will it will come out. That's James. That's what I, you know, that's what I'm waiting for because otherwise it's, it's too easy to, to be, to be a, a victim to whatever, whatever side is right. That, that's where, where the camp I am in because I'm going, I'm kind of, I was in on the one side and I'm on this side. I'm like, no guys, I'm just going to take a step, a big, big, deep breath and think and pray and let's just see what happens and let's see how it plays out as far as a, uh, put it what and why.
0: Yeah. That's a that's a very measured response and I appreciate that. And and I'm going to support you. I'm going to back you up on that because as as an officer fighting in Afghanistan there was never a time where I was more confident that I did not know what was going on than when I was actually there in that moment with more access to information straight up than I had ever had before. That's when I felt like I knew the very least. And the farther you get away from a subject, um, the way we consume information now, it can sort of lead you into a a sense of of knowing what's going on when you really don't. And all of the news that we're getting is is pretty heavily filtered by the time it gets to us. And it's much more complicated than it appears. And, uh, yeah, I do hope that some truth comes out. I'm not very expectant of that but I I hope for it I really do and and in the same light like I I feel bad for the Russian troops I feel bad for the Ukrainian troops I feel bad for people on both sides it sucks these sanctions are really going to hurt Russian people yes. that yes. that have nothing to do with these politics nothing to do with these politics and they're already they're already poor. They're already in bad way. Yes, you know, that's that's not uh, that's not fair to them. But there's very little that's fair about any of this, and that's almost a word that you'd better just leave out of the of the conversation because you're not going to find fairness in war.
1: No, James, and I, I can't claim like I, I uh, thank you for your service. By the way, I meant to say this very early on. Uh, highest no, Same, to, you, sir. To, same to, to, you. All, to all to all all the veterans um, and uh, especially. Um, I went to this, I was recently in the, right outside of um, Stove, Vermont, uh, like just two weeks ago last week. And I I went to the barbershop, the local barbershop, I looked up and I went to the place and it was the veteran-owned place happened to be, and and they had, of course, you know, the pro-Trump, you know, the the red signs everywhere. It was place was great. Like there's literally a uh, guns hanging on the wall. Like the, the the guys, the barbers. I think everybody who actually worked there was a, a vet or a served, you know, a, a mil- served before in the military. And they had the U.S. Navy guys, Army guys, and, and the owner was a um, uh, Marine. He was a Marine, right? So we, we got to talk, and, and um, what I quickly realized is. And, and, and I'm sure like, you know, James, you are, and I really appreciate what you said and, and your measured approach in this and, and being very, you know, very weighted and, and just weighing, weighing the information coming into you, right? Because I understand your audience and, and the people you support and, and the things that um, the message that, that comes across sometimes is completely opposite from that, right? And uh, when I was talking to them, I said, Hey guys, well, have you heard, like, what do you guys think? What's your take? Right. And you have to realize is it's like, it's like a cryptocurrency, you know, like when they, when you got a cab driver start talking about cryptocurrency in New York city, that's a problem. Maybe you shouldn't buy it. You know, (laughs)
0: that that is not,
1: that is not the time when you invest, dude. I'm sorry that, 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 that ship has already sailed. (laughs) Right. Like that is too late, dude. Sorry. I know. Right. When you have a barber in the barber shop, right. And, um, being concerned with what's taking place and hearing my accent, right? And asking me, start asking me questions and us having conversation and, uh, and staying for an hour and a half longer talking about this. And he's a pro Republican, right? He's a rat as yes, right? And, and the entire group of the people that he's with, right? They all, and he had the guys in from Atlanta, right? All the races of a gentleman working there at the shop, right? Not one race, right? And when I asked him the questions, Hey, have you heard about white nationals and have you heard about Nazis in Ukraine? Yes or no? Their eyes, just James. They never heard about this, right? I said, okay, I get it. Let, let me show you guys. Have you heard about who's doing what and what atrocities they committed since 2014? The answer is no. And I, I'll tell you, James, I, I highly encourage you. Anybody who's listening to your channels, guys, just just do look look at the facts of well, look what happened in. A beautiful city, one of the, the most beautiful city, post-Soviet Union, Republic days, is called Odessa, O-D-E-S-S-A, Odessa. It's right on the coast. It's beautiful, gorgeous, right? Look at Odessa 2014. Look what took place with fires and a Nazi demonstration, and look how many people was burned alive in modern days by that movement. That is just the one event, right? Right. Nobody got prosecuted. Nobody got arrested. Like No, no, no hats rolled whatsoever. If anything like this ever happened anywhere else, especially in the Western stratosphere, this will will be, you know, that would be the end of it. Right. And and they like and they ask him, like, well, what do you mean there's Nazis there? So, guys, look at the flags they carry. Look at the site. You know uh look at the abbreviations the guys are carrying. You do understand it's a swastika, right? Okay, this is a swastika, and they support the guy by the last name from 40s, whose name is Stepan Bandera, who is German Nazi soldier of Ukrainian happened to be of Ukrainian descent, right? And uh he was he was a Nazi politai, he was one of the most ruthless people there is, right? And they carrying his portraits and saying prayers in modern days. Okay, well, let's, let's just pause there for a second. Forget about everything else. Forget about what's taking place today. Answer to yourself. Is this okay to do it in modern days today in any country in the globe? Right? And James, the answer is no. Like, there yeah, should of be no movement yeah. of you cannot have fascist you cannot have nazis you can have cannot have racism of that level of any kind nobody should ever say hey i will take your life because of my belief and uh, and and and, and color of your skin or anything else that i'm i'm not a fan of right that that's and if you can comprehend that and if you find enough evidence in that and i just hope it does come out and if it's and i honestly don't know if it's all what they say it's what it is right i just do believe that they cannot be it's got to be base for that, right, my mom and dad they live in belarus right they happen to be visiting they came here about a month ago just to visit us, and they can't go back james there's now fly zone like for them to fly back home, they have to fly through Finland, like the detour they have to go to the northern part of the world to get back down to belarus right and I'm sure there's hundreds of people like that, maybe thousands right. And, and they're lucky to have us. They're happy to stay, right? That's why we share the household. That's a, that's a whole different story, right? There's there's that's why we live in the in-laws. Always great, but they are strong believers. Like I'm looking at my mom and dad, right? And they have no reason to lie to me. Like, they, they, they've done their due diligence. They've done the discovery. They're not trying to sway me in any way, left or right. They understand about my passion, my, my love for the country, where I am, being U.S. citizen and, and being proud and, and having kids and family here and never even going back to visit, right? Not once, right? They get it. They're not trying to explain anything to me. They're just simply having casual conversations. And I believe that it's okay to have these conversations. And that's what we're missing. In the end of the day is like, it should be okay to sit down, have a different opinions for both sides or three or four sides come together and discuss the things, the facts, compare the facts, very your own conclusions, we should have each other have a great night or day and walk away. That's what it's used to be about. And somewhere along the way, it's all changed and it's it became very political, right? Well, it, it, it hasn't it's, changed it's on this show
0: because I, I want people to talk about about what they believe and, and why they believe that, where they come from. And then I think that if we all do that and we continue to do it, that we'll understand each other better. And I'm, I'm not here to silence voices or silence opinions. Um, I'm not here to necessarily disagree or agree with anybody. I just want the stories to be told. And I think that we can all learn from that and, and improve collectively. But yeah, God, what a tough situation, what a tough situation. And, and like you're talking about, like, there's just levels of complexity that we will never understand, but with any hope we can understand more of it soon, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be immediate. And uh, let's just, let's keep all the, all the people involved um, kind of in our thoughts and prayers and, and, and hope the best, the best outcome for everybody and, and understand that, that this isn't, isn't necessarily it like everyone is losing right now everyone is losing in this conflict no matter where they are in the world
1: no no nobody nobody wins that that is certainly a a thing right and um and what i what i cannot i cannot shake off that james and i really appreciate you know you saying what you just said and uh, i do support in that regard and um I wouldn't be here otherwise, right? If I knew that you were the the guy and it was your agenda, like I would just not wouldn't do it because it's that's not the place to be, especially with what's happening in the world today. Um, I, I just can't when I when I when I take a step back, right? If I just look like we always I I can't remember who said that uh, we always have to learn from our history, right? Uh, maybe maybe many historians said that, um, and 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 look at look at 1930s, look at Germany in 1930s. Many, many parties they had a, a huge following, and I do mean huge following after World War I, and one of the main parties was there was uh, socialists, right? The very same socialists, the communist socialists that they were to power you know in, in Russia at the time. They had a uh, liberals, they have a more modern liberals where they had you know Republicans, they, they had a, they had a full spectrum of the colors. And if you look at a, how did Hitler persuade and came to power in that time? Like, how did he do it? Like, how what what happened, guys and gals? Like, please just just go look look at take a history book and read about it. Right, there was a time when he was absolutely powerless, and there was absolute a huge window of a number of years. We're not even talking days, right? Like we're talking about today. In, in Ukraine and Russia situation, when, when every day counts, like we in a day, what day six, day seven, right? This is and this is tough as it gets. There were years when somebody could have stepped in and said, wait a minute, this is can't be right. Like, could we do something about can we look in? Could we please investigate this collectively? Could we find out? It never happened. And then years later. You know, Hitler got to power. He got to where he got to. his in 1934, and then we know what happened after that in Europe and the World War II, and we know the complete outcome of that. And historians till this day, what blows my mind is they're like, "Well, how do we learn from that? Like, why, 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 why nobody said anything?" And this is, if just for a second, if we just think about this for a second, guys, and if Russia have enough evidence and they do believe that that's what taking place, and it's they don't want that history to repeat itself and it's indeed maybe the very same number of 11 percent seven percent nine percent five percent whatever the number is at the very very high echelon level of ukrainian government right who is corrupt who is i'm not saying that everybody's corrupt no not at all but there's a small percentage if they truly are in charge and they have this massive following which is armed and if that's true if it's just true if we just think about this for a second well, somebody had to do it. Like somebody had to do something, right. Otherwise it might've been too late and who knew what would be outcome of that. Right. And that's, I I just can't shake that off. And the more I I look at this is I I, I don't want I don't want us to all of us to, to repeat that, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Let's, let's wait and, and see what shakes out a little bit. Well, gosh, I, I appreciate, I appreciate your perspective on this. Uh, Your story is absolutely incredible um if people have questions or or they want to um follow up on any of this how do they get a hold of you
1: yeah sure james yeah look before uh, uh james of course i i um once again guys i'm not i'm not doing this to to you know to get the clicks and likes and, and bait likes nothing like that uh it's all out of uh, i'm i'm happy to be here humble to to support james and uh i do have an instagram right and uh, it's a simple um it's a step step underscore into into um, step into and uh, it's it's actually you know one of my passions is surfing and once I've seen a step into the liquid movie years and years ago that that's kind of where the nickname nice. is coming from nice yeah 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 it was one of the first that what got me into the sport many many 17 80 years ago and uh, so yeah, that's the Instagram. I'm happy to you know please say hi. Uh, welcome all the uh, you know, all the all the criticism, if any, or you know all the love. Nothing nothing but love from my side for guys and gals on your audience, and uh, definitely a huge fan man. And um, if anything I can do, you guys follow me. I'll follow you back. You know that's it.
0: Okay, well thank you very much again. And uh, I mean th- this is a wild story. It's a wild story, and I'm I'm grateful to have it here and. We'll be in touch and you know, you got any questions about hunting? Like we continue to talk about you. Let me know anytime.
1: Sounds good, James. We'll do appreciate your time, sir. Thanks again. And uh, I wish you all the best and uh, let's just, let's just be patient. And I think everything will play out. Yes, sir. Yeah.
0: So I found this old ad and there's like, Dudes dressed up like construction workers, and a guy's got a jackhammer, and there's a crane, and you know they're moving all these big steel beams and stuff.
1: Aladdin Stanley thermos, Stanley, the top all steel thermos bottle that's completely dependable.
0: They're showing this thermos like falling off this building and hitting all this other construction stuff.
1: And built to take a pounding year after year. <laughs> Get the top one.
0: Oh, lands because in the wheelbarrow. a wheelbarrow. Guy grabs out of the wheelbarrow.
1: Now he's going to pour himself a cup of, of coffee.
0: I love these cheesy old ads, and most of the time, like they're lying to us, right? That's most of what marketing used to be was just like telling a lie, or or at least telling a version of a lie that that made you think that you needed this thing. But we'll tell you what: when it's cold out like it is right now, the only way to keep liquid liquid and not freezing in your pack is by putting it in something that's insulated. So packing a thermos in the wintertime is really smart, whether it's for a hot beverage like coffee or if you just want to bring some water with you, which is a really important thing if you're going to be out adventuring around in this this snow that we've got all over the country. And I think you should be because it's a great time of year to get out and about. You know, this is both a comfort and a safety thing. If you want to get something from Stanley, which I encourage you to do, you can use the discount code 6RANCH. That's the number 6 in the word ranch, and that'll get you 25% off of just about anything on their website. I encourage you to do that. They're great supporters of the show and uh, great supporters of this audience, and I love you guys. So stay warm out there, have a nice warm drink, and uh, make sure you're drinking it out of a Stanley product. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share the show with a friend. You can also rate the podcast and leave a review. Your support allows me to keep doing what I love, which is meeting incredible folks and sharing their stories with you. For more content and photos, follow the show on Instagram at Six Ranch Podcast or me at Six Ranch Outfitters. This episode was produced by Emily Brannigan with original music written and performed by Justin Hay. Art for the Six Ranch podcast was created by John Chatelain and digitized by Celia Christofferson. Tune in every Monday for a brand new episode of the Six Ranch podcast. I'll catch you next week.